It's the Honey Pot Cannabis Podcast. You're a Sam? Yeah. You smoke weed? <laughs> you yeah. You the weeds and all, the, all that stuff. smoked at least two weed before. <laughs> I've smoked five. Oh, shit. You're yeah. a gangster I've in this game. I've got many. Oh, God. <laughs> May I have a French fry? <laughs> May, I, <laughs> May I have a French fry? <laughs> well, hey, guys. Welcome to the show, to the Honeybot, Honeybot, <laughs> Honeybot Cannabis, <laughs> Honeypot Cannabis Podcast. I am your host, Katie, and we have with us Allie. That's me. Hi. And we have uh, our second guest ever on our show, Sam. Howdy, howdy. Sam is a marketing manager at a cannabis company, our cannabis company, Periodic Edibles. And she manages, she does all the podcasting, editing, and, um, like, all the things. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. 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 And, um, yeah, you've, uh, you're from Texas, yep, right, originally? Absolutely, yep. Born and raised. Born yeah. and raised. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And, um, yeah, she's super into cannabis. She's a huge baker, and we are having her on today just to ask you a few questions. Yeah. I'm excited to be here. Thank you guys for having me on. Uh, excited to just share my insights and uh, answer some questions and get some interesting info out here. Right on. Yeah, right yeah. On. Well, we usually start off with what your favorite way to consume the cannabis yeah. is. Yeah. Um, I like all the consumption methods for sure, but uh, flour, the old tried and true, is probably my favorite. Um, love bongs. Love spoon pipes. Nice. Uh, my boyfriend rolls great joints, so we'll smoke a joint every now and again. Um, and then I always have the dab pen on me. I like extract cartridges, so uh, yeah, live resin extract cartridges are pretty frequently the way I go. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. What is a spoon? What'd you call it? A spoon? A spoon pipe. If you think about like the classic pipe, like the small little guys that fit in your hand that have that round bowl at the end, that's a oh. spoon pipe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just call it a pipe. Dropping terms on yeah. that. <laughs> We're going to have a key term section at the end. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about your relationship with cannabis. How'd you get started in it? Oh, man. Um, I mean, cannabis has really, like, redefined my life in every way possible. So, um, cannabis was always, even though I did grow up in Texas, it was never really that taboo in my family. Like, People weren't smoking around me, but it was pretty much an open secret that every adult in my family, or 90% of the adults in my family smoked, so it was, I never really, like, bought into the it's a gateway drug because of my parents and or my dad and everyone was, like, super hard workers and everything like that, so I never really bought into the propaganda that a lot of people in Texas do, but I also never really, like, got heavy into it. I smoked occasionally through high school, like, every now and again, but, um really developed a relationship with it um like toward the end of college uh in my senior year um I'd smoked occasionally throughout high school but um then at that point in my college life uh, I had some a series of family tragedies that made me drop out of college and start taking care of myself mm-hmm. and responding to that instability in my life I kind of turned to alcohol at first and I have some alcoholics in my family so I was weary of getting addicted to alcohol but Mm, there for a while kind of acted as an alcoholic and Mm. just didn't like the way that my life was going so I decided to stop drinking and naturally still dealing with depression (laughs) and uh, migraines and all kinds of shit that I didn't uh, enjoy dealing with Uh, started smoking cannabis more often and just found 
that it helped me manage my depression, helped manage my migraines, um, helped me really like kind of stop those anxiety spirals that I would get into in depressive episodes and just help me like look at my life very objectively. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, a lot of people talk about the uppers and the downers, but I think the best parts about cannabis are that it can kind of help you zoom in or zoom out on those parts in your life that you want to take a look at. And I've yeah. used it like that ever since and just use daily. Um, I'm like your standard super heavy stoner, but uh, <laughs> get everything done in my life. So I'm just about, uh, you know, defying stereotypes. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. think that's great because you're one of the hardest workers I know. Thanks, and you, man. you pop some shit out. <laughs> yeah, thanks, like, man. Yeah, and yeah, always been a workhorse, and both of my parents are too. And watching them, you know, remember my dad use cannabis, I'm like, okay, well, clearly the lazy stoner thing is a myth. Yeah, yeah. it's <laughs> just like your personality kind of shines through. For sure. And like you, you know a lot of science about cannabis too. Yeah, like, how for did sure. you, like, like first get into that and how did you did you were you utilizing that within like your it kind of happened like I got into cannabis recreationally like most people in America do you know smoking at parties here and there and um but when I did I I went to school for neurobiology so originally I planned to be a brain surgeon that was my long-term big brain goal Uh, yeah that was what I was originally gonna do um and then when all that happened in my life, I dropped out with, about, I have about 18 hours left on my degree, so I, oh yeah, my at some point I might go back to college. You're a brain we'll surgeon. Yeah, but, um, just my pre-med neurobiology degree, I should specify, not like any actual, <laughs> just pre-med. I'm not a medical doctor, although I did wind up, um, when I dropped out of college working for a medical devices company and oh. got a job in their lab teaching surgeons how to do surgery, so I kind of took a weird oh. back way from not being a surgeon to teaching surgeons how to do their job. That's so, so medical. It was really weird. I was like, what the fuck is my life right now? Like, uh, standing in the lab, high out of my gourd, teaching surgeons how to, uh, how to do surgery. Yeah, because I used heavily all through that time and managed that lab, no problem. Wow. And you'd be surprised how many doctors use cannabis. I talked to a lot of them about cannabis use at that time. Um, but in just, like, I've always kind of, like, researched things that interest me. So when I was studying neurobiology, I would research things about the brain. And in searching online, found out about the endocannabinoid system, which was in none of our textbook and still today is not in any textbook and not taught in any medical school. So just doing that research and realizing that we have this system in our body that's made essentially to interact with cannabis to help us have better health. Yeah. It was incredible to me. Yeah. Then, that's incredible. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, oh my gosh. Sure. Yeah. I didn't know anything. I, I was going to say, y'all probably don't learn a lot about me. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. That is cool. Oh, and yeah, we were talking about that on a previous episode. How they yeah. don't teach about the yeah. endocannabinoids. No. Well. It's something like 98% of medical programs in the U.S. still don't teach anything at all yeah. about the endocannabinoid system because why would you teach a doctor something that the cure is a federally illegal drug? So yeah. it in that way and they can't do proper medical research on it because you can't get cannabis in the u.s for that purpose there is one farm in mississippi that grows all of the cannabis that they're allowed to use for research and the director of that farm said eight percent thc is extremely high so clearly they're a little bit out of touch um so yeah the state of of research and actual research medical applications in cannabis in the U.S. is pretty sad, honestly, like, considering that Israel's been doing this research since the 80s, so. 
Jesus. That's yeah. super frustrating. It and, really is. And it's just because of the fact that cannabis is... Yeah, it's really just because we didn't find out about the endocannabinoid system until, like I said, in Israel in the 80s, they wanted to look into why marijuana makes you high. And in doing that, they took the THC and put radio markers on it, so little radioactive uh, molecules that you can then see with an x-ray um, or any other kind of imaging machine that picks up radioactivity. And they saw the THC going through our body and attaching to all these receptors on pretty much every tissue in your body. And that's how they found out about the endocannabinoid system. Dude. So, whoa. yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> oh, mine's one. Yeah. That's so and cool. because of that, that's really why it was, ha- has had the lid on it ever since. Uh, well, we brought Sam on today because of her extensive knowledge of cannabis industry, obviously. And particularly for her knowledge of the history of cannabis and its its struggles with legality. Can you explain to everybody the history of cannabis and how it became illegal? Yeah. So um, the history of cannabis is really the history of humanity. Um, there's some evidence that cannabis was the very first crop that humanity ever made agricultural um, settlement for. So when we were hunters and gatherers, we're like, we'll go out to collect this food and that food, but we want our weed grown right here. So we don't have to go out and look for it. Um, So so there's literally 10,000 year old fossil records that there's cannabis plantation, like little grows of cannabis. So it was one of the first things that we ever grew. It's been used medicinally since the beginning of time. There's Chinese texts that are over 4,000 years old describing it as a treatment for migraine. Um, just wow. like every ancient society, um, every religion that we practice nowadays has its roots with some kind of either uh, mysticism or ritual or some kind of sacrament that included mm-hmm. cannabis, a lot of which has been retroactively erased the way that history has kind of retroactively erased it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, just like it was so widely used everywhere that it grows on six continents nowadays. Like it it grows everywhere, right? It grows everywhere. It's one of the fastest growing crops. Hemp grows like from seed to finished in like four to six weeks most of the time. Wow. And it produces a shit ton of biomass. So people have just used it forever. And it literally is a weed. That's why we call it weed. So it'll pop up anywhere. It's been found along the banks of the Nile. Like every Uh. river in the world, like it can grow there. So it was used mostly for fiber. It's got a, it makes like really resilient clothing. People have been using it for clothing for the longest time. There's just like literally 20,000 different products you can make from hemp and cannabis fiber and the different parts of it. So it's extremely versatile. So all of these different societies used to use it for these different things, but it didn't really gain popularity for being used recreationally in the U.S. until um, the Mexican Revolution. So that's in like the 20s. So, but it was used in the U.S. before that medicinally. It was actually the most widely prescribed medicine in the U.S. for the longest time. The first law about cannabis in the U.S. ever was in the colonial times, and it was a requirement that every farmer in the U.S. grow hemp to ship back to England because it was so useful for all these different things. Isn't that something? Yeah, so the founding fathers, a lot of people know that they're farmers, but a lot of people didn't know they were hemp farmers. Oh my god. All of them. Washington farmed hemp. Jefferson farmed hemp. Ben Franklin farmed hemp. The first two drafts of the Declaration of Independence were written on hemp paper. It was absolutely (laughs) integral in everything. It was essential. Yeah, in the U.S. 
It really, really was. And um, cannabis tinctures that were actually the most popular form of medicine. Queen Victoria used them for her menstrual cramps. Jeez. Yeah, they were popular for headache. It was just <laughs> widely accepted that this was a medicinal herb, but nobody really smoked it mm-hmm. until it was kind of, it was popular among the Mexican immigrants that started coming into the U.S. after the revolution. Mm-hmm. And like most things in America that have some shady background to them, the reason it became illegal is tied up in racism, xenophobia, and corporate interest. So because I mentioned that hemp has all these different applications, hemp paper is better than the paper that we use today. You can make lamp oil out of it. You can make gas. You can make all these things, like just infinite things. So there were lots of industries that were threatened by it. And... Back in those early days in America, society at large was really controlled by a few millionaires and early billionaires. So you probably know names like Andrew uh, Carnegie, um, mm-hmm. Rockefeller, J.D. Rockefeller. Yeah. You may not know Andrew Mellon, but he was another uh, oil magnate who mm-hmm. wound up becoming Treasury Secretary. We'll come back to him in a second. So remember <laughs> Andrew Mellon. But... Um, Carnegie and Rockefeller had interests in the very early pharmaceutical industry. Mm-hmm. So part of the pharmaceutical industry was around centralizing healthcare, privatizing it, and making pharmaceutical drugs, refined drugs, the go-to. Mm. Yeah. So in order to do that, they had to discredit herbal medicines. Mm. Oh, that's awful, mm-hmm. because that's like the best medicine. The, so the best like medicines a- known to man for all of human history. And herbal medicines... We talk about full spectrum a lot at periodic edibles. So full spectrum is when you get the whole matrix of compounds in a plant. And a lot of the times the plants are better at knowing what your body needs than a pharmaceutical ever will. Mm-hmm. So aspirin uh, was derived from white willow bark tree or oh, white, white willow, willow tree bark. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So Native Americans would take that bark and chew on it. Mm-hmm. There was the same chemical that's in aspirin that makes your headache go away, but there was mm-hmm. also a chemical that protects your stomach. Oh, wow. So nowadays, if we take too much aspirin, it'll eat through our stomach lining and we'll die. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Aspirin is more dangerous than cannabis yeah. because cannabis cannot hurt your stomach yeah. in that way. Yeah. But it's when not you, full yeah, <laughs> it's not full spectrum. <laughs> but in the same way, like isolated THC doesn't make a good medicine because it makes you anxious. It makes mm. you nauseous. You do, it doesn't have all these other things that help your body. But the way that modern science in the West works is you have to isolate a compound and show exactly what it does at every dose so that you can prescribe someone a certain dose. As we all know, cannabis is extremely variable, mm-hmm. and we could all take a hit off the same strain and have a completely different reaction. So yeah. Western science doesn't like things that are that variable, even mm-hmm. though you can make a science out of it. Like, they've been able to say THCA plus CBD plus linalool equals less seizures. You can make a medicine out of it. It's yeah. just a lot harder, and it's much harder to make a profit off of, especially when anyone can grow it in their backyard. Sure, yeah, oh. when it's readily available yeah. as an earth yeah. product. So the AMA that privatized American medicine along with the pharmaceutical industry, keeping in mind that Carnegie and Rockefeller were billionaires of their time, so they had pretty much unlimited money to throw behind this thing. Um, another millionaire who was in the mix is William Randolph Hearst. And you'll hear his name most often connected to cannabis prohibition because he essentially owned the media at the time. That's that guy, right? The guy who you were like, Mm -hmm. it's his death was today. Oh, that, he was like his, they were like in cahoots, basically. So they they couldn't have done it without each other. (laughs) 
they absolutely <laughs> could not have done it without each other. So you're on the right track. Okay, so, cool. And okay. we'll touch on that guy. That guy's the boogeyman to anyone who loves cannabis. So we'll, don't worry. He will come into this in just a second. <laughs> cool. But uh, so William Randolph Hearst owned pretty much every publication that came out, every newspaper that came out at the time. So in that way, he owned how America got its information because oh, there was no internet. There were no blogs. There was no, you know, there was no other way to get information. Um, and he also owned just miles and miles of timber to print paper for these things, keeping in mind that hemp is a superior oh. source of paper. Oh. So, um, this goes deep. One wow. of the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so one of the publications that uh, Hearst didn't own was uh, Popular Mechanics. And okay. they put out a uh, they put out an article called Hemp the New Billion Dollar Crop because previously hemp had been kind of hard to uh, manufacture because you have to strip an outer covering from a woody stalk and it's kind of hard to do. Mm-hmm. It had previously be- been done through slave labor, uh-huh. and when slave labor started to go out of vogue for all the reasons that it should, yeah. hemp became a little bit harder to manufacture. But the cotton gin was there, so that's kind of why America started transitioning more to cotton and things like that. But a machine had come out that made it infinitely easier to process hemp. So Popular Mechanics put out a, a cover of a magazine that said, Hemp, the new billion-dollar crop. Uh-huh. And this was in the 30s, so a billion yeah. was like... A lot. You, you, yeah. just, you just said 67 quintillion. Like, yeah. people were like, that's not even real money. That's, there isn't like, a billion dollars on this planet. But So that really scared people when they realized the potential. There's also some question of whether or not DuPont was involved because they had just developed nylon oh. so and a lot of other synthetic chemicals and things like that so huh. you can see how there's this whole sphere of influence around not wanting hemp to be there for the purpose of making more money industrially mm-hmm. so that guy we were talking about yeah. Harry Anslinger Harry Anslinger starts off his career working in the alcohol prohibition uh, department, oh, the de- right, Department yeah. of Prohibition. Yep. So this is around in the time of alcohol prohibition, and he's quoted as saying that cannabis isn't a problem, like because by that time there had already started to be a little bit of smoking in the country because when alcohol was prohibited, cannabis came more into vogue for smoking because people weren't just not gonna get high, like, right? Yeah. Just because they can't get drunk. Like we're we're used to living with intoxicants because we've done it since forever. Humans have been drinking since forever, mm-hmm. and even though it wasn't in vogue to smoke in America, people I want to make it clear that people have smoked cannabis since forever. People used to throw it into their fires and get high off of the the scent of it. You know, like basically hot box their teepees like that was definitely a thing so (laughs) it's not that it didn't exist it just wasn't in vogue in america at the time Mm -hmm. but during alcohol prohibition it starts to gain more popularity but anslinger's like that's not a problem alcohol's way worse and he's directly quoted as saying that these reports that cannabis made you violent which was kind of whispers amongst the time he said that's absurd fallacy couldn't be further from the truth. Yeah. Quoted. Quoted. <laughs> quoted absurd fallacy. Those were his chosen words. So when alcohol prohibition starts, you know, going under, it was only 13 years that alcohol was prohibited here, he starts to, he's going to lose his job, right? Luckily, his uncle-in-law, Andrew Mellon, who we talked about wow. earlier, the oil magnet who doesn't yeah. want hemp to be legal because he has oil interest Mm -hmm. and hemp can be used to make lamp oil. So he appoints Anslinger as the first head of the newly created Bureau of Narcotics. 
And at that time, the main interest was preventing narcotics because the state or the federal government was losing out on tax revenue, not because it was some societal menace that, you know, did this or that, just because of the tax money. Really? Of course. Mm -hmm. It always comes down to money. It's always about the money. He got a pretty good budget. Those first few years, he still really wasn't caring about cannabis until he started getting pressure from these folks is what how the word starts going. So at the same time that William Randolph Hearst starts running these reports in his magazines about cannabis violence, Anslinger starts collecting these reports. You can see how that's a feedback loop, not real stories being told to someone (laughs) who's looking for not real stories. Um, He decides the best way to keep his job and get a really good budget and have job security is to find a new menace to prohibit. So now that alcohol is out of vogue, he wants something that he can just, you know, basically rake in people breaking the law on. He doesn't want to do heroin or something like that where people are going to be strung out and fight him. It's going to be, you know, hard arrest and hard to enforce. He wants something that a lot of people are doing, something that's easy to bust people for, and something that's easy to outlaw. So he figures the easiest thing is cannabis. Because the Mexican immigrants, which at the time America did not like immigrants, not much has changed in mm-hmm. yeah. all these years. Yeah. But racism and xenophobia were really starting to pick up against the Mexican immigrants who had come over. So because they had this proclivity towards smoking cannabis, he decided to link cannabis use to the Mexican immigrants to the black musicians and black people at the time who were perceived as less than and violent and start pushing this narrative that people who smoked cannabis will get into the fact that he wasn't calling it cannabis in a second we'll come back to that the people who were smoking it were these mexican immigrants blacks uh filipinos and entertainers he personally hated jazz music so he had a vendetta against black musicians who were jazz musicians he claimed it was the devil's music (laughs) Um, and he claimed that uh, cannabis made it easier for them to slow down time to fit in all those unnecessary <laughs> grace notes okay. in jazz music. There is some suggestion that cannabis does actually change our perception of time, so there might be a kernel of truth there, but okay. all the rest of it is racist bullshit. Yeah. Um, and he actually at that time is quoted as saying that can or that reefer was the word he was using reefer. at the time. Reefer makes the blacks think they're as good as white men. Oh my god. That's a direct quote from a government oh. official at the time. He was considered racist even for the 30s. Oh, wow. Um, but to push that association with Mexican immigrants even further, instead of using cannabis, which everyone knew as that tincture they have in their medicine cabinet for their headache <laughs> yeah. that they all liked, he started using the word marijuana. Now, some people say that's what Mexican immigrants called the cannabis they were smoking, but a lot of sources actually suggest that they never called cannabis marijuana. Mm. Marijuana was a type of wild tobacco that they used in a medicinal herb blend that they smoked. Mm -hmm. So it was never even a word for cannabis, but it was a word that the Mexicans used for an herb that they smoked. So Anslinger started using this word marijuana, spelled it with an H at the time, would go around pronouncing it marijuana to make it sound very exotic and started telling people that it was invading American culture, it was going to corrupt their kids. So this is full-blown reefer madness at this time. So newspapers start running these reports of these people that are super violent off of cannabis and how it's going to destroy American society. Anslinger is 
pulling those reports together. He creates something he calls his gore files with 200 cases of supposed violence caused by cannabis, people killing their families Hmm. in cannabis-induced rage. This is insane. It was really crazy. (laughs) So he gets these files of these 200 cases of people that are super violent because of cannabis, and now 198 of them have been proven unequivocally false, and two of them, there's no record that they ever even happened. So, like, none so of them. none of them. nothing. <laughs> he asked, I think it was 29 doctors for okay. their official opinion on cannabis, and 28 of them told him, you're wasting your time, this is the best medicine we have, there's zero risk, and he found one who said, oh, it can make you psychotic and crazy and violent, and he ran that one doctor's report as... This is the proof. This is the proof. This is what doctors are saying. And so um, Anslinger winds up running the Bureau of Narcotics from 1930 to 1962. An unprecedented 32 years. Four presidents keeps getting reappointed. That can really brainwash a person. And it can really brainwash a country. (laughs) He did that successfully in 1937. The Marijuana Tax Act was passed. It made it illegal to grow cannabis unless you had a tax stamp. They were not giving out the tax stamp, so you could not get a tax stamp. So it was de facto illegal at that point. Um, The first arrest was like a year later for two joints, and he got four years in prison. What the heck? Yeah, but Mexicans were 15 times more likely to be arrested. Blacks were six times more likely to be arrested than whites, even though the use was the same across the board as it is today. And even today, um, people of color are infinitely more likely to be locked up than white people, even though we use cannabis at the same rate. Nothing at all has changed. So 1937 effectively makes it illegal in the U.S. Anslinger then goes to the U.N., gives his same talk there, and gets a cooperative resolution from essentially all the countries in the U.N., to ban the growth of cannabis in their countries and make it illegal. So at that point, the U.S. basically gets the rest of the world to illegalize a thing that they've been using for thousands of years. Just That's how it goes mm-hmm. down. Because like, yeah. some people wanted some mm-hmm. money. They were afraid mm-hmm. to lose their own yeah. company. Yeah. And it kept rolling through there. Um, it became a Schedule One drug in 62... What is, I could be what wrong. Is schedule one. So what yes, let, let me break that down for y'all. So there are different uh, scheduling classes of drugs mm-hmm. in the in the U.S. You know, uh, system. And schedule one means that it has a high risk of abuse, a high risk of addiction, and no medicinal value. So mm. like heroin. So like heroin. Yes. Are you kidding? Wow. Uh, like heroin, cocaine, and cannabis apparently but it if it has some medicinal value at a schedule two you know like meth yeah 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 meth is meth is scheduled schedule two. two so what? cannabis is more <sighs> dangerous than meth in the u.s government's Sweet. idea of how drugs work what? demonstrably false people have pushed back against this since the earliest time uh that's crazy actually the uh governor of new york fiorello laguardia which is the reason laguardia airport is named what it is he uh, commissioned a report in the early 40s, 43, 45, I can't remember the exact date, and asked like 33 doctors for their uh, opinion. They did their study over five years, so it was effectively the very first medicinal cannabis study, and they found just unequivocal proof that it's a medicine, it's great, there's no, like essentially no risk. 
and Anslinger immediately went on a smear campaign calling it false science and oh, discredited fantastic. that report. So, nice. yeah, so people have known that this was all bullshit for a long time. Yeah. But it's really hard to fight big money and big influence. Yeah, and it really can brainwash everyone. Literally because there's everyone. so many people that are like, oh, no, that's yeah. bad. And a like, lot of people, when I transitioned from using alcohol to using cannabis, I had a couple friends stop hanging out with me. Friends who I'd been drinking with five to six nights a week. Yeah. Who suddenly called me and my friends drug dealers because we would buy an ounce and split it between us. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, like... These, like, thoughts that people have are so deeply ingrained, it's really crazy, but the tide is starting to turn, finally. Yeah. But the reason it, so back to Schedule 1, that was when we really started, like, getting into the FDA and classifying drugs and the real war on drugs got started, um, Mm -hmm. back in Nixon's time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they say the reason that cannabis immediately became Schedule 1 was because the hippies used it. And the hippies didn't like the war effort, and they didn't like Nixon. And you couldn't make it illegal to not like the president and not support the war, but you could make it illegal to smoke weed and to smoke crack, which they did for black people. Keeping in mind that the FBI put crack in black neighborhoods in the first place, but that's an entire other podcast. yeah, Yeah, so it was, from the beginning, a tool to oppress people of color, to protect big money interests basically that's awful awful. yeah yeah truly truly awful yeah it is a very bleak and uh infuriating history but it's somewhat tolerable because we live in a time where it's kind of finally starting to fall away yeah Yeah. my mind is a little bit blown (laughs) yeah it was uh, yeah we just went through like uh like the entire ten thousand years of human history right quick with the focus on it's to think that it was it's been used for so long and yeah. then just because of corporate bullshit mm-hmm. it just got taken away from us yeah. and now we have to work so hard to get it back mm-hmm. like everybody is having to fight tooth and nail for yeah. like any part of this at all that's yeah. like truly heartbreaking it really yeah. is i mean countless lives affected by people who were growing for medical patients getting arrested mm-hmm. just like an infinite human harm is has been the only outcome of the war on drugs drugs have won the war on drugs (laughs) they won it from the beginning and it's just been downhill ever since yeah wow just because a couple of guys want war and money yeah 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 it's just fucking i don't feel taken care of it sucks yeah yeah Yeah. right and then like to make it illegal in the entire world Mm -hmm. and it shows the power that like money has or just that our government has or any that they just get to decide just what like we that. believe it's yeah so frustrating yeah and at the time the like i said there was no other way to get information so the the uh congress members who voted on the 1937 marijuana tax act didn't know that the cannabis they'd been using medicinally was marijuana oh. they had no idea it was the same plant <laughs> they thought they were like we like cannabis but that damn marijuana <laughs> yeah. yeah and then they illegalize and all of a sudden they can't have hemp anymore and they're yeah. like wait what the fuck oh, <laughs> they didn't even God. know what they were what? doing yeah it's really crazy really really where, crazy where do you see like the legality of cannabis going now now that it's (laughs) now that it's in the position it's in yeah um i think with the way that information travels nowadays 
at, nowadays in the way that anyone can educate themselves online and have you know free access to information as long as you have a Wi-Fi connection. Mm-hmm. I think we're past the tipping point. Yeah, it will be legalized in the U.S. It's already been legalized in Canada. Yeah. It'll be legalized throughout Europe. It's just a matter of time. Yeah. Um, if you had asked me three or four months ago, I would have said, I think we're still three to five years out. Yeah. But actually, just today, the uh, House Judiciary Committee voted on a bill called the Moore Act, um, which is the marijuana opportunity... Basically, <laughs> the marijuana. basically it's a marijuana equity. Excellent. Yes, there you go. I know that the E is equity. I didn't brush up on it, but what it's going to do, basically it will remove cannabis from being a Schedule One drug, which will effectively legalize it mm-hmm. nationwide. Well, that's nationwide is on your side. Yeah, exactly. And it'll also establish equity within the industry for those who have been disproportionately affected by the war on drugs. So people who have cannabis convictions will have them expunged. Good. And people, it's like people out of jail. People out of jail will not only be got out of jail, but then be given access to government resources to set up cannabis companies. Oh, shit. Wow. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's the idea. So that got an official draw up today. It'll go into That's voting so cool. today it did happen today um there is a little bit of bipartisan disagreement on it because this is america so yeah. of course the republicans would rather put it back in the hands of the states that kind of makes things difficult for the states because federal prohibition still makes interstate commerce just tax requirements i don't yeah. know if a lot of people know about the 280e tax code mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so basically there's a, a rule um in the tax code that says that If you make your money from illegal substances, you still have to pay taxes. What happened is a uh, cocaine dealer back in the 70s got busted for not paying taxes on his income. So the next year, (laughs) he said, said, all right, fuck you, IRS. And he submitted uh, a tax return for his cocaine business (laughs) using his car as a deduction, using his phone bill as a deduction. And they didn't have a way to fight it, so they had to accept it and give it a missed tax return. And the next year, they wrote the 280 tax code that says, okay, if you're selling illegal substances, you still have to pay taxes, but you can't claim any deductions. Yeah. So you have to pay your full business taxes, but you can't write anything off. What? In, like right now? That's how right it now. is right now. That's how it is right now. So oh. companies in the industry get taxed at something like 60 to 70 percent, which Whoa. is why it's so hard to actually make money in the cannabis industry because you could think you have all these profits and then tax come times, tax time comes and they take so much of your profits that you hardly can make ends meet. They that's really don't crazy. want you to succeed at no, all. No, not at all. Of all this other crazy shit. That's yeah, because of this whole... So what is the cannabis culture like in Texas where it's illegal still? Um, when I left Texas, I've lived in Oregon for about two years for, um, for reference. Before that, I'd lived my entire life in Texas. Um, lived in Houston until I was 18 and then lived in Austin for almost 10 years before I moved out here. So Austin's a little bit more liberal. Houston and Dallas are starting to become a little bit more liberal. Most of the big cities in the U.S. are kind of starting to migrate a little bit more liberal, it seems. Austin, like, it's kind of been a hippie town for forever, so it's kind of an open secret that most of the people there smoke weed. I mean, like, Willie Nelson and Matthew McConaughey are, like, two of the big residents, and they're, like, also two of the biggest stoners in Hollywood. (laughs) That makes sense. I didn't put that together. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. Um, So, yeah, 
Austin's probably like the weed capital of Texas, but um, <laughs> right above Austin is Williamson County, which is one of like the most feared places for cannabis. Huh. Um, they're very archaic about it and try to throw the book at anyone who gets busted with it there. We had a roommate whip into a 7-Eleven and one of his tires was kind of over the line into a handicap spot. And a cop pulled up and saw that he had like I think like a, like a quarter or something in his center console, yeah. which he should not have left out. That was a little <laughs> yeah. bit on him, but uh, but they saw it. And when he came out, he got arrested like on wow. the spot. Um, and a kid made some brownies there, and they tried to charge him for the weight of the brownies as cannabis extract, and tried to charge that. him with a felony with yeah. the weight of the, the brownies. Weight, the entire weight of the brown. So they charged him with having like two pounds of cannabis extract oh, when it was a single batch of brownies. Awful. So that's they, crazy. yeah, they really so try some fuck shit. <laughs> so yeah, it's starting to awful. become better. Like uh. it's starting to people are getting wise. They're Last time I went home to Texas, there's CBD everywhere like there is everywhere else in the so country. So they legalize CBD. CBD is legal uh, federally, so you can get oh, it anywhere. Okay. But it is a super wild west because it's not regulated. So a lot of the shit you see in gas stations is pretty much snake oil. Yeah. Um, they've gone and tested these things, and like 70% of them have almost no CBD in them. Some of them have way too much CBD just because there's no lab testing. So yeah. I wouldn't recommend getting CBD from anywhere <laughs> other than a dispensary if you can or online from a licensed retailer, preferably someone who also has a THC business because they're going to be beholden to the state testing on that side, so they won't want to jeopardize that by making a shoddy CBD product. But you can get it in Texas, and there are some good companies making it in Texas so or making it from hemp in other places and selling it in Texas. So it's starting to kind of turn around and like even some members of my family that had previously been against it are starting to kind of change their minds. Yeah. 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 Do you think, do you think it'll get legalized there soon or Um, what five to 10 year plan? uh, I feel like Texas will be one of the last holdouts, (laughs) unfortunately. (laughs) Well, it'll probably be like Texas and Idaho and like the last couple that just are Utah. Yeah. Yeah. Utah Utah. may be kind of slow coming onto it, but um, I think eventually they'll probably go whenever federally goes, but I don't. Yeah. I, the governor there is not very progressive, <laughs> uh, so I, I doubt I it will happen anytime soon. Yeah. So, have you seen cannabis education in Texas change at all, or has it been pretty much the same? Um, I, I've been so engrossed in the Oregon cannabis industry. I haven't really like. It seems like a lot of my friends are getting to be more knowledgeable, and, like, I learned about terpenes when I still lived in Texas. I was starting to hear whispers about it. Granted, our uh, our dealer was growing in Colorado at the time, which had a legal... So we kind of had, like, a foot into the legal world there. So people just kind of brought it in. Yeah. That's kind of what I was expecting. Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) most of the stuff that you get grown in Texas is not good. But, yeah, Yeah. we we had a plug that got some fire in from Colorado. So we were pretty lucky. But some of it is is not great. Yeah. I know some people in my family that have been smoking some serious, (laughs) like, shitty shit forever. Yeah. Yeah. It's, like, not great weed. Yeah. I I find it cool that your parents, to find out that your parents smoked. Because as a parent that smokes, I always kind of wonder wonder what it's like from the kids point of view being exposed to cannabis and like how you saw your parents knowing that they consumed it it was I should clarify that it was like more my dad like I I have a pretty clear memory of my dad building a bong out of PVC pipe when I was about three (laughs) um but then it kind of rapidly started being hidden from me like I knew conclusively that he smoked when I was nine yeah and it was kind of like 
he didn't know that I knew for a long time. He didn't know that I smoked until he saw me hit a joint at my aunt's house. And he was like, does your mom know you're smoking? And I'm like, yeah, mom's known I smoked for a while. He's like, why didn't she tell me? Like, he was, he was like, he was like sad we couldn't have been smoking together for longer. But um, it was, it like I said earlier, it just kind of made me realize that all this, the stigma was bullshit and all the things they said about it were, were bullshit. That's, that's, like I said, as a parent that smokes, <laughs> yeah. that's really good to hear yeah. because I do, I, I wonder and worry, and I'm sure, like, yeah. some of our listeners do, too, like, yeah. what it's going to be like for our children. Because my kids yeah. do know. My older kids, they know that I smoke. Yeah. It's, you know, I, I like, I'm happy to hear yeah. that they turn out good anyways yeah. with parents that yeah. consume. No, and, you yeah. turn out you great. Know, it's, and, it's just like anything else. Like, you can drink wine and be yeah. great, or you can drink wine and ruin your life. Like, yeah, it depends absolutely. on what what else you're putting out there for your kids and I think as long as you're a good example in other ways which you absolutely are and I'm sure all the people listening are you know setting good examples in other ways so like I think as long as you're you smoke and you're good at your life yeah, and yeah. you take care of your and shit and you're care. present yeah. and you're not spending money on weed when you should be spending it on <laughs> diapers or anything like your kids gonna yeah. gonna see you for who you are and they're just gonna realize oh if anything it's it's not gonna make you any worse in their eyes it's just gonna make weed that much better they're just gonna be like oh yeah you know weed is just something that people smoke yeah it's not something taboo it's not a drug it doesn't make you a druggie like i mean it it is on paper a drug but it's not like one of these hard street drugs like people would have you believe right it's not like my mom's on yeah my mom's a weed head yeah (laughs) (laughs) like oh she likes to be calm around you yeah exactly yeah my mom likes to Sit down and chuckle at sixty minutes. And yeah, you know, like, it's chill. my mom it's, makes the best food. Whatever. Yeah, my mom makes bomb ass food. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So now that you're in Oregon and you are like an established user mm-hmm. and you're not afraid to show that, yeah. um, like you went out and now you're a marketing director for Periodic Edibles and Periodic Effects, and it's such an educational science-based podcast that focuses on the business and science side of cannabis, mm-hmm. which you know so much about. So I think this, I think it's awesome that you finally found something like that for yourself. Yeah. What have you learned from your marketing experience about cannabis that you wish everyone knew? Um, yeah, so a huge part of what I do around marketing is just create educational content. Like you said, I produce that podcast. Um, I write tons of blog articles about all the different science of cannabis and really I just wish that people would use the education at their disposal on the internet you know read about some of this and realize that there's a place for cannabis in everyone's life it's not just about getting stoned and sitting on the couch and eating munchies like you can be as active as you want to be if you don't want to get high you don't have to get high you can still get the great benefits for your endocannabinoid system that just help keep you healthy and help prevent diseases that are so rampant in our country nowadays yeah Um, Uh, Sam is also a skilled and passionate home baker and she loves to bake with cannabis Um, what is your favorite edible you have ever made? Oh, man. Another part of the marketing content that I create is using our cannabis caramels to make edibles. Just super simple. And that's turned into some really great things. Um, you have so many cool things. Thanks, so Those it, are like yeah. my favorite posts. <laughs> Thanks, man. Post yeah. yeah, follow Periodic on social media and follow our blog and validate my life choices, please. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but yeah, I make these recipes every week. Um, the one that jumps out at me recently, I made some uh, some pumpkin cake balls with caramel binding them together those instead of icing. Amazing. They were very tasty. Thank you. Yes, mm. I really like those. Those were a hit. Um, 
but yeah, I've got lots of recipes on the website that you could check out, and there's just really a lot of really good ones in there, real solid ones. Yeah, she um, she just posted one that was about like fudge balls, and it has like three ingredients, and it looks yeah. so easy and you delicious. You just pour hot caramel over uh, chocolate chips, and bing, bang, boom, you know, the, wow. you, you got truffles. I gotta do that. Yeah, you, you just pop it in the fridge and then scoop them out. It's like as easy as could be. Oh, yes. yeah, yeah. What's the easiest edible you've made that would be easy for other yeah. people to try? That one's really way up there, honestly. Well, yeah. yeah, like that one is about as simple as it could be. The other one I made recently that was super simple that my boyfriend and I were like, this fucking rules. Um, we made homemade hot chocolate, which if you've only oh. ever made the stuff in the powder thing, it like yeah. does not compare at all. Yes. You just, on the stovetop, heat together heavy cream and milk, and you get it bubbly, and you chop up a bar of chocolate real fine and dump it in there, and it gets all melty and delicious. Sounds and, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and then I took a couple of our caramels and I melted them into a little bit more like non-infused caramel sauce, and then streamed that into there uh, and got it all melty. Yeah. And it's salted caramel hot chocolate, and wow. it was delicious, and it was uh, very relaxing. I used the relaxed one, so it was like perfect, like chill out and sip and watch a movie time. What's your favorite, what is your personal favorite terpene profile? Ooh, that depends on how I'm ingesting, <laughs> honestly. Um, I really love myrcene. I, I personally really like the couch locked effects. Like, I, I don't like it where I'm, like, super locked into the couch. But um, for that reason, I like doing myrcene and limonene together. Mm. So um, those are, like, the myrcene's, like, your dank earth terpene that gives cannabis it's real like skunky earthy smell mm-hmm. limonene is the one that gives it it's like citrus lemony smell and myrcene is kind of a downer and limonene is kind of an upper so those two together you aren't super locked in the couch you still get some like head involvement kind of a head high some body high i really love those two for when i'm smoking um it's a nice hybrid of a, it is yeah, it's kind of a hybrid effect <laughs> yes yes yeah. you could say that um I also really love linalool, which is the one that's in lavender. Um, that one's really good for anti-seizure activity, which is part of what they think leads to migraines. So I like oh, using that cool. just to keep the migraines at bay. And it tastes really good, especially in edibles. Very well, floral. It's very floral. Um, and linalool and myrcene have two of like the higher boiling points. So terpenes, because you can smell them, they're really volatile. They, like, evaporate really quick and can Mm -hmm. be gone. Mm -hmm. And they boil at really low temperatures. So when you're baking something, if it's at, like, 325, you want to make sure that your terpenes don't boil at like 300 degrees or something like that because oh. then they'll be gone that's this is good why to I know yeah it I is yeah there's quite a bit of science that you could very easily get wrong with edibles so if you're gonna cook and you have some terpenes that you know are in there just you know pop a google in there limonene <laughs> boiling point i think off the top of my head it's like 150 or 353 or something something in there huh. so you should be able to bake at 300 325 and be that's rock smart. solid yeah well yeah we make edibles at work but yeah. um outside of our business do you, what do you have a brand of edibles that you could recommend to people to try yeah if you're in oregon um i like peak chocolates oh, they're oh, yeah. uh they kind of have similar branding to us in that they're focused kind of more on the effects they don't do straight indica and sativa they have like kind of like 
body high and they're strain specific as well so their stuff is really repeatable and it's oh. just a damn good bar of chocolate is it kind <laughs> of like one square would be five milligrams i think that is bar? the dose yeah i think it's a, a so square is five milligrams i would so, yeah. be super stoned because yeah. i would eat the whole damn yeah. bar you would have to make just... hot chocolate with yeah it for sure for that. yeah <laughs> do a very low dose yeah um <laughs> things i can't eat because yeah. i drug myself eat the yeah whole thing. <laughs> yes the edibles are kind of touch and go mm-hmm. for us as well because my boyfriend has kind of a, a not a low edible tolerance but like kind of a mid he likes like 12 to 15 milligrams mm-hmm. whereas i have like an ungodly high edible tolerance <laughs> um i have a, apparently a really strong liver metabolism so mm-hmm. my dose is like anywhere between i like to eat a whole one of our 50 milligram caramels and that's comfortable for me i know that would send a lot of people to the moon yeah um, that would definitely send me i've had back. some <laughs> i've had some cakes and some brownies and some cookies that were up to 120 150 milligrams and gotten stoned for sure and been stoned for a long time but yeah. never gotten to that uncomfortable place off an edible thankfully but yeah, uh, if I ever did, I would, you know, smoke some CBD or uh, smell or chew some uh, some black peppercorns, bring myself back down. Uh, we've nice. done that with uh, with my boyfriend when he's had a little bit too much, and it's helped him Aww, tremendously. Yeah. So, yeah. So edibles, truthfully, aren't our go-to. Um, they'd be expensive for me, and they could be dangerous for him. But peak extracts are a really good one. We swear by their rescue rub as well if you're into topicals. That's, like, the best thing in the world for muscle soreness. Do they stick... Um, like what sort of extract that how do they extract it they do their own extraction and uh one of the co-founders of peak extracts is a chinese herbalist she's trained as a chinese herbalist and rescue rub was based on what she used to use in her chinese medicine practice as a muscle rub she just threw cannabis in there too to make it more like the ancient uh chinese herb so it's got like 13 or 14 they're very very official and i've seen their uh their extraction equipment and they're just like doing it the right way yeah 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 the rescue rub is like my it's i exercised last night and i like slathered my thighs down in it and i'm a little (laughs) sore this morning but it's the only reason i could get in and out of my chair props to you for um exercising yeah i mean do you have any a bad or funny experiences with trying to make an edible (laughs) um the very first time i tried to make an edible was pretty funny um my roommate had just turned 18 i was a few years older than her and she wanted a space cake for her birthday she wanted and she never really had edibles and she was kind of new to weed so i was like okay 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 so um i made her this this good sized cake that was like a lemon cake and i used can of butter i made my first batch of can of butter i thought i fucked it up at one point because <laughs> some water got into it now we know that you wash so like that's fine yeah. like, i was very green at the time but uh, as was my can of butter i did not wash it enough but um, all good. it was a little bit of an earthy tasting cake but it was good but so we all eat our slices and and within, you know, 45 minutes, we're all wah, 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 except for my roommate, whose birthday it is. Yeah. She's not feeling anything. And she, she's bummed, of course. Yeah. So she's like, and she's a small girl. She's like, she has, a, <laughs> like, just n- not very tolerant to intoxicants at all. Yeah. Yeah. And I told her, do not eat another piece. Like, l- let this, just let it work. <laughs> Give yourself see. more time. She ate two and a half pieces that oh night. Oh, my God. Oh, no. Um, woke up the next morning to go have a birthday date with her extremely conservative mother, high as a fucking <laughs> kite, oh, still no. stayed high for 36 hours. Wow. Oh, um, so that was like, oh, I, thankfully I had a good time, but I, I was like, oh man, I sent someone to the moon and I did not mean to. <laughs> That's that pretty like, badass. It was, so. it was fun. Yeah. It was a fun time. 
Yeah. yeah, she was texting me the whole time, like, I'm having to tell her that my allergies are really bad because my <laughs> eyes are red as fuck right now. Classic. <laughs> Classic, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, man, Sam. Well, thank you so much for yeah, yeah. Um, the mind-blowing, like, <laughs> journey we've been on. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Learned on- we've learned so much about this, the history of cannabis and, like, how it became illegal and just, like, how crazy it was and unfair yeah. and so unjust. Unfair. Yeah. And yeah. Just... Oh my god, like so much information. Yeah. Thank you so much Thank for sharing you. with for us. For sure, yeah, yeah. Thanks. I hope that uh, it was informative and not just uh, just so much information that you're <laughs> no. overloaded. I hope no. you feel uh, you know, inspired to write to your congressman or congresswoman <laughs> and tell them to legalize that shit. Literally, Absolutely. because yeah. it's fucking medicine. Yeah. And that's it. That's it. Like, that's we, it. we all got tricked, basically. Yeah. We got shit. We got bamboozled. Just uh, so bamboozled. <laughs> Before we wrap up, do you have, like, a think ganja I was high store? Oh, man. Uh, I think ganja I'm high every day. <laughs> I live in <laughs> Oregon and have access to this amazing plant. Um, I've had some, some fun times on it, for sure. Um... I think my favorite, like, thank ganja I was high when I shouldn't have been high story was when I was back in Texas. Um, me and my best friend Barrett, shout out to Bear, um, who now lives in Colorado and also Aww. found his way to a legal cannabis industry. So nice. hallelujah nice. for that. So we got super fucking stoned and went to his job at Alamo Draft House because Finding Nemo 3D had just come out. <laughs> oh, and we nice. weren't going to miss the midnight premiere of that. So um, I was running late to get to his house and I forgot that I was like almost out of gas. So I literally pulled up to his house with like three and a half miles of gas left in my oh, car shit. but I was like fuck it I'm gonna go see Finding Nemo it's gonna be great oh, no. so I get out it's a great experience we were the youngest people in the theater it was awesome nice. <laughs> it was like all 50 year olds like ooh reaching at the screen <laughs> trying wow. to touch 3D fish it was amazing Hell I think yeah. everyone in there was high <laughs> but we get back to his house and I'm like okay man I'm gonna kick rocks I'm gonna go home it was like 2.30 in the morning I'm still pretty residually high I roll out of his neighborhood and I'm like I'm gonna run out of gas. Oh, no. So I'm like trying to coast through the neighborhood, and I California rolled through a stop sign, and oh. a cop sees me. Oh, and I get no. pulled over. I'm still very stoned. It's 2 30 <laughs> in the morning. Like, and he pulls me over and he checks my license, and I hadn't updated it. Keep in mind, I lived in Austin for like six years, so, but it still had my Houston license uh, address, and he was also from Houston. So I get very gabby when I'm uh, stoned. as evidenced by how long we have talked today um and so i started chatting up the cop and talked my way out of the ticket even though i was stoned and fully deserved the ticket and he wound up escorting me to the gas station to get my gas so that i wouldn't run out of gas so i was just like i'm so stoned right now please yeah it was great but it turned out good all was well i can't imagine that he's like i'm gonna escort you you're like please god no no more i was like i don't want to get stranded but maybe it's better than the cop sharing that yeah. story with us yeah. um, and for being here today thank you to yeah. everybody else for listening and don't forget wait to- um, yeah if you want to give us a follow on Instagram yeah. our Instagram is the honeypot can- cannabis underscore podcast <laughs> yes the underscore <laughs> underscore is important there um, yeah and you can email us at th wait the thpc <laughs> podcast <laughs> at gmail.com and email us your think of Jai was high stories and we'll give them a shout out here on the podcast yes. um but yeah thank you and yeah. don't forget, forget to, to save, save the, the bees, bees and, and smoke more trees, trees. <laughs> bye bye guys <laughs> yeah
tuning into our podcast. Our content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your naturopath or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. We are fortunate enough to be located in an area where cannabis is legal. Please check your state's laws regarding this plant before consuming. If your area is anti-cannabis, get involved and vote for change.